privilege of worshiping together. I want to invite you, if you would, this morning I'm going to take a brief step aside from Romans, and I want to invite you to turn all the way back to the first book of our Bible that begins with a Hebrew phrase, in the beginning, and that's the book of Genesis, Genesis 1. Before we get to our text for the message this morning, I want to read our verse of confession. That comes from Nehemiah, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Nehemiah, like many of our Old Testament patriarchs, oftentimes took ownership not only for their own sins, but for the sins of the people of their heritage. And this is what Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 1, verses 6 and 7. Let your ear be attentive. And he's talking to God. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night who for the people of Israel, your servant, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We often talk about in each service we have here asking for times as we will present in a moment for you to confess your sins, to ask God to cleanse your heart. And I'm going to ask you to do that again this morning, but I'm going to add with it this plea from Nehemiah, that you begin to be more faithful in praying for the sins of our land and for the forgiveness that God would grant to our great country. So I'm going to have a voice of silence, and you pray silently, and after a few moments of silence, I will lead us in a word of public prayer. eyes of my heart, open the eyes of our heart, that not only would we recognize our individual sins, but Father, also the sins of our great land, amidst all the turmoil that many are facing now, uncertainties, yet Father, you're so sovereign, you're still on your throne, and yet we as your people, sadly enough, still fail this morning, Father, is not only the forgiveness of our individual sins, but the sins of our nation, Father, that you would bring about healing and unity through and by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ, that name in which one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess and pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. This morning, I want to speak to you about what I believe to be the greatest social injustice in our world today. Not only the greatest social injustice in our land, but the greatest social injustice I believe facing the entire world today. No doubt there is a lot of discussion about that taking place right now. Those discussions have escalated even amongst believers, and it's gotten more 
debatable due to recent events, specifically around our recent election. Recently, there was actually a study by Harvard University that listed the nine greatest social injustices of the year 2020. They're on the screen, but listen to them. Here are the greatest social injustices according to Harvard University. Voting rights, climate justice, health care, refugee crisis, racial injustice, income gap, gun violence, hunger and food inequality, and total equality amongst people. I think most of us here this morning, I would think, would disagree with this list. I think we would include some of these items, but I would venture to believe that most of us would believe there are some items in that list that we would disagree with and would substitute with others. So as a whole, I, I personally disagree with this list. Uh, the whole issue of, of racial injustices or civil rights no doubt has become a magnet. I do believe this is a social injustice. We're not free of this, folks. For those, I mean, look at our congregation. And I'm not trying to be, but look at our congregation. Can we honestly say that we are treating all people equally? We can say it with our mouth, but we are far from there. But I don't believe that's our greatest social injustice. I believe there are other things at hand. Many are concerned about the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. In fact, if some have their way, uh, I believe that there'll be some introduction of some outrageous gun control laws and guns may be taken away from every citizen. I've told folks this, I don't mind saying this from the pulpit, and I'm going to say it publicly. Uh, with or without laws, somebody comes into my house to harm my family, they're leaving one way, and that's in a body bag. I don't say that to brag, I don't say that for amen. I'm simply saying this. I do believe in the responsibility. I, I differ on the words rights versus responsibility. I'm not going to put here and there. But I have a responsibility to protect my family, and I will. End of discussion. So I think that is a social injustice, if that would occur. But I don't think that's the greatest social injustice. I believe that there's also a lot of folks that are concerned about uh, being censored. You know, we know what's going on with such entities like Facebook, I blew my chance this morning in Sunday school. I'll be off Facebook by the end of today, no doubt. I said things I should not have said according to the powers that be. So be it. I'll jump ship along with everyone else at the beginning of the jump ship. But the reality is this. Being silenced or censored, well, it's an injustice. It's wrong, folks. It's wrong. It's not the greatest social injustice facing our world today. Then there's also the issue of being silenced or what some people want to call a hate speech. Um, things that I have preached here, that Pastor Chris have preached here, trust me, someday will probably be like Canada, will we'll be threatened with jail time if we continue to teach against such things as homosexuality, gender neutrality, we'll be threatened with jail time and I'll go to jail. <coughs> Simple put. It's an injustice. In fact, Franklin Graham talked about this instead of liberals, that there needs to be a distinction between banning hate speech and banning speech you hate. Well, this is liberals hate the speech of believers, period. And unbelievers hate our speech because we talk and we preach and speak the truth of God's word. 
and silencing that as they've done in Canada, which is the heritage of my family, is an injustice. It's a great social injustice. I do not believe it is the greatest social injustice of our time. Many would disagree because they say, well, silencing Christians, silencing preachers is a great injustice. And again, I agree, it is a great, to silence the word of God is an injustice, is a great injustice. But I still do not believe it is the greatest of all social injustice. And I will say this, it does have to do with silencing. I believe the greatest social injustice that I'm going to speak about this morning does have to do with silencing. But I believe it has to do with the silencing of the unborn who never have a chance to speak. Amen. I believe it has to do with the silencing of our elderly who are being put to death through what we know as euthanasia. That, my friends, is the greatest social injustice that our world is facing today. And unfortunately, many believers, still as they did in 1973, sit idle and watch it happen. The sanctity of human life begins, it has been recognized in the month of January. Our outgoing president, President Trump, signed a decree that January 22nd, which was the anniversary of that 1973 decision of declaring that day as Sanctity of Human Life Day. Many churches celebrated it last Sunday. Since it occurred on the 23rd, I wanted to preach on this today in honor of that decision back in 1973. In fact, while it appeared months ago to many believers, many preachers, that our country and their new appointment to our Supreme Court might be geared towards overturning that decision. Many believe today that's probably now in jeopardy. Let me provide you with some statistics about this decision from 48 years ago this week. Worldwide, there have been over 1 billion abortions in the world. Roughly today, January 24th, 2021, 50 million abortions will occur during the next 12 months. Let me break that down further. Today, by the end of today, 137,000 abortions per day. That's 5,700 abortions every hour. That's 90 every minute or one and a half per second. Do you realize in the time that I've been speaking right now this morning, since I came up to the pulpit, not the welcoming, but this time after the prayer, nearly 200 babies around the world have been aborted. One of which could have been the cure for not only the coronavirus, but any disease we might have has been put to death and they've been silenced. That, my friend, is the greatest social injustice facing our world today. In America, one in four women, including, unfortunately, the statistics, sadly enough, is now the same in the church as outside the church. One in four young women are having an abortion. 
folks in the church need to begin to understand this, and we need to pray, and I want to share at the end of the message what we can do more specifically to see changes in our land, and pray specifically that the U.S. Supreme Court would in fact overturn this 48-year-old decision. So I want to talk to you today about the sanctity of human life. The sanctity of human life. If you've turned in your Bible to Genesis 1, if you would, one last time, join me and stand as I read verses 26 through 28. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your created events in which you created mankind, in which you created all living things. And Father, sadly enough today, we have such an injustice that mankind has taken liberty to act upon your creation and have murdered and silenced the innocent. We pray, Father, for forgiveness of our land. And Father, for healing. Bless, Father, the reading of your word. Anoint my lips. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, today. Do you realize that we read that text that one human life is more valuable to God than the entire non-human creation? Did you know that one human life is more has more worth to God than all the angels, than all the stars, all the galaxies, all the planets, all the moons, all the mountains, all the rivers, all the fields, and all the animals? All human, just one human life has more value. Why is that the case? Because as we read in Scripture. Humans are created in the image of God. In fact, the Latins used to refer to this as imago Dei, was a Latin term. Angels, however, are not created in the image of God. So the question then becomes, what is imago Dei? What is the image of God? Is it rationality? Well, I, I would say yes, in part, but angels are rational as well. They have that attribute. Uh, is it personality? Created in the image of God. Well, again, I, I'd say in part, yes. But angels have that attribute as well. Uh, is it a spirit that has the capability of communion with God? Well, in part, again, I'd say yes. But likewise, angels have that capability. I believe one of the most critical ingredients about this whole issue of the image of God is the whole issue of dominion. Look at Genesis 1, verse 26, the very first part. Let us, as written in the word, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Here's the reality. Angels do not have the issue of dominion. They have rule, they have, they have no rule, no dominion over anything. And also, as far as this is concerned, recognizing God's dominion over us and the grace we experience, do you realize that angels cannot sing 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Angels can't sing that. They also can't sing redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That, my friends, incorporates this issue of the image of God, that we, in essence, have dominion. Human life is sacred, and that's where I want to leave us this morning. And as we talk about the sacredness of human life, I want to mention how human life is sacred because it mirrors God. Human life is sacred because it magnifies God. And then human life is sacred because it manifests God. So let me get into the first point. Human life is sacred because it mirrors God. You know what a mirror is? It is a reflection. And some of you like mirrors. Some of you don't. Some of you do everything to avoid it. Some of you just love standing there uh, until someone walks in on you and watches you. And that's when you say, oh, you were just cleaning the mirror. Liar. I think one of the greatest values of human life is, again, mirroring God himself. Look at Genesis again, back to Genesis 1.26. Our major focus will be the three verses that I read. We'll look at some other verses. Again, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I believe there's two major qualities or characteristics that we see in that verse that specifically show how we mirror God. The first is that we, as human beings, we reflect the triune nature of God. We reflect, like a mirror does, we reflect the triune nature of God. What do I mean by that? Again, back into verse 26, the first part. I keep going several times to go back to that verse. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. These are the first days of creation. When God says, let us, our, and our, obviously there are others with him. Who are those others? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We refer to that as the triune God or the Trinity. You say, well, how do we mirror that? Well, it talks about the fact that God is three persons in one. Not always the easiest to explain. Preachers have used a lot of analogies. I'm not going to go there. God said it. I believe it. I know you all have heard that phrase. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. In reality, here's the truth. God said it. That settles it. As much as I want you to believe God's word, you realize that if you don't believe it, it doesn't change the truth. So the real saying should be, God said it, that settles it. And God said we're created in his image, in our image. You said, what's that have to do with, with mankind? Well, listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he says this, Now may the God of peace himself, Trinity, sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, and understood your whole soul, and understood your whole body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he refers to three elements, and this is known doctrinally as the trichotomy of man. There's a debate about that. Some would say there's only two. 
I believe that we are a tri-economy development council. Chris, I see nodding his head. It is not a salvation issue. I'm not again, I'm not going to bore you with the details about the difference. But I believe being created in the image of God, we have body, soul, and spirit. But let me explain those words for you. As far as the word spirit, it's the Greek word pneuma. We get our words like pneumatic device or pneumonia from this Greek word. And then we have the word for soul. It's the Greek word suke. We get our word psyche from that. Somebody's psyche, their, their personality. And then the Greek word for body is soma. In fact, you take psyche and soma, you get psychosomatic, the they term that we are maybe have heard. Uh, in theology, again, this is called the trichotomy of man or the threefold nature of man. Uh, God is a triune God, and I believe we mirror him because we are a triune being. First, we reflect his triune nature. But second, we also reflect his kingly nature. This is part, again, of mirroring God. We not only reflect his triune nature, we reflect his kingly nature. Again, back to the last part of Genesis 1.26. God says, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's the dominion that I referred to earlier. God created mankind to rule. In fact, he created, as we know, Adam and Eve. Yes, you're right. It was not Adam and Steve. It was Adam and Eve. Bye, Facebook. We'll see you. <laughs> and he created us with the responsibility, not the right, not the ability, but the responsibility to rule. We are to rule in so many different aspects of life. Psalm 8, verses 6 and 8, King David writes, You have given him, referring to man, dominion, dominion over the works of your hand. You put all things under his feet, and all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. We mirror God's character by ruling over his creation, by taking dominion over it. We rule the animal kingdom. Mankind, based on our conviction as a Baptist church, male men are considered the head of their life. That's a biblical principle as Christ is head of the church. Parents rule over their children. Well, parents are supposed to rule over their children. Because human life mirrors God, we ought to revere it, even as God revered his creation. So, first, human life is sacred because it mirrors God by how we live. But second, human life is sacred because it magnifies God. Look at verse 27 now. We did a lot of verse 26. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This will be strike three for me, I think. You know where I'm going? I didn't even preach it. The amens are already started. Male and female, he created. I mean, who would have thought? Come on, let's be honest. Those of us who are my age, 
it as big as anything. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm lost. <laughs> God, through his great glory, and through his sovereignty, and through his wisdom, knew best when he said, man and female, he created them. In other words, God created us as far as this as we talk about the whole issue of, of the, the mirroring of God and then manifesting it, God wants us to appreciate creation in many ways. Uh, so let me explain a few of those. First, he wants us to recognize the Lord's unity in all this. Um, so God, look at get back to Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. The, this part of the verse relates to God's closeness to his masterpiece. Now, Paul writes about this in Galatians 4, verse 4, when he says, But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. He presented him to mankind that we might enjoy him. John 1, 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, we focus on God dwelling amongst us as the Christ child for our salvation, but our relationship with God is also something that we are to enjoy. In fact, the old first catechisms, when you think of the catechisms of all the Westminster Catechism and so many others, what's the, what's the chief end of man? to glorify God in his creation. And that's part of the enjoyment of God's work. That God created man in his own image. The image of God he created. The man was created to have communion with God. Sometimes we call that prayer, but it's just part of life. It creates that unity between Mankind and God through that communion. Communion builds unity. Unfortunately, that unity was broken when Adam and Eve sinned against God Almighty. And as a result, God would see fit to bring restoration through what was now known in Scripture as the last Adam, who is Jesus Christ, to restore that unity. Romans 5.19 says... For as one man disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. Simple question, and Pastor Chris has preached on this often. How are we made righteous? By baptism. I hope you're going, what? That baptism didn't make Alex righteous. You know what made Alex righteous? Look above the baptistry. The cross, Alex, is what makes you righteous. Nothing you do or nothing you mess up. You're as righteous today as you'll ever be. Except when we get the glory of being the full righteousness. Because he said there's nothing we can do to earn righteousness or to become righteous. The waters of baptism don't make anybody righteous. It just fulfills a command to do as God said. To begin, to begin to walk in the Spirit. That brings about, again, 
recognition of, of the Lord's unity. But second, it helped us to recognize the Lord's diversity. Again, back to verse 27, male and female created he them. Both man and woman were created in the image of God. I'm not here to preach a sermon about the whole issue of a man's rule. It's simply a, the focus here is God does talk about dominion and he does talk about diversity. And there's a purpose of that and it's part of God's design. It's complexity. Because human life magnifies God just like it mirrors God, we need to revere that. So first we have how human life is sacred because it mirrors God. Second, human life is sacred because it magnifies God. And third, human life is sacred because it also manifests God. Look at Genesis 1.28. God blessed them, that is man and woman, that's what we just read in verse 27, follow the context. And God said to them, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the, every living thing and, and moves on the earth. All sort of kidding aside, as our family grew up, most of you know, Lord bless us with 12 children. And we oftentimes, I've said this and I hope this is not taken the wrong way. It's sort of interesting through our married life which will be 40 years in June. Gary and Leah just we celebrated 50 years. They're married at 11, they told me, but celebrated 50, <laughs> 50 years of marriage. And that, that self deserves a third hour. I will say this in our 40 years of marriage, we actually received more rebuke from fellow believers of our family side than my unbelieving family. And sometimes it would come across as a joke, but this verse would be used. And they would look at me or Carol or us together and say, you know, when God said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, he wasn't just telling you two to do it. <laughs> but the reality is this, when we talk about the sanctity of human life and silencing, and I don't want this to be misunderstood, but when we talk about silencing the unborn through abortion, today in our culture, you realize that the average Christian family has shrunk in size more than any other faith on the face of the earth. Christian, we have diminished our average family size and the fastest growing family unit in the world. Do you know what faith it is? Muslim. Where is the truth of God going to be preached if we don't honor God's word? And again, don't leave here misquoting me saying that Pastor Michael said we all have to go out and have 12 kids. <laughs> Some of you are, I'm sorry, are past that age. It ain't going to happen. I'm not saying that. Because sometimes God closes the womb. But what I'm saying is this. I believe at times we are as guilty with silencing as the whole issue of abortion. The church needs to be there to be the strength. David said in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 5, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. God's creation of man shows 
his qualities and his characteristics. We even see this by the writer of Hebrews, Barnabas. I know I know Pastor Chris would only use Pastor Chris's version that he thinks it was Apollos. But anyhow, Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Um, I'm sorry, getting too sidetracked. The author of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Human life magnifies God, I believe, in two ways. It mirrors God. It manifests God. It magnifies God. First, he is seen in our enjoyment of creation. I've already talked about that a little bit. He's seen in our enjoyment of creation. Verse 28 of Genesis 1 again. And God blessed them. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. You know that we're supposed to enjoy all of creation. Listen to a couple of these other verses. Paul, as he writes to young Timothy, challenges them in 1 Timothy 6, 17, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I trust you're enjoying life but I also trust that you're enjoying God's creation. But also Acts, Dr. Luke speaking in Acts 14, 17, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Satisfying your hearts with food. I like that part. <laughs> And gladness. Yes, sadly enough, some believers look like they've been sucking on lemons for years. I mean, one of the difficult things I think as preachers, you know, when we're singing, worshiping together, you're all looking up here and you're typically seeing good, hopefully, lively faces, which we usually with our quick praising, we see that. We get to see you all. Now, when you've got the mask on, our friends of Kim, Kim brought friends. Ronnie tried to say they were his friends as well, but I'm just saying. But if you have mascot, I can. But there are some of you that I can sometimes look at, and I, again, I don't want you to be offended by this, but you just look like you're not enjoying anything. We ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth, amen? Enjoying God's creation. We're to enjoy that. But second, it is seen in our dominion over creation. The last part again of Genesis 128. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. And again, that's a re-emphasis of back to verse 26. But have dominion over all of God's creation. The idea of dominion is important because it expresses the will of God as we exercise dominion. We have dominion in our own personal lives. What I mean by that is through our own character traits, through our own disciplines, 
We, through the power of Christ, can conquer the old man through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's dominion. Paul talks about the old things, old, all things that become new. We have dominion over our own personal life. You can control, to some extent, your destiny, your life, your, your gladness. That's within your control. We can have dominion over ourselves. We have dominion over our family lives. Again, back to the man is to be head of the woman and our household, the man's role, even the wife's role with regards to the children. Uh, even in our workplace, we, we have dominion in church. Pastor Chris and I uh, are responsible for the spiritual upkeep of this body of believers. We, you know, we, you'll never hear us use the word dominion. We don't mean it that way, but that's part of God's design that Christ is head of the church. And as pastors, we have a dominion responsibility in a good sense. I'm not saying you must do this, but by proclaiming the word of God. And God holds us responsible for that. Even James talks about that when he says, don't be so willing to teach or to preach, because we will receive a greater judgment based on what we teach and preach. It's an element of, of dominion. We have dominion over the world. In fact, 1 John 5, 4 says this, for for everyone who has been born of God, believers, overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Because human life manifests God, we have a responsibility of protecting and defending innocent lives. We, through this whole element of sacred life, manifest God, gives us that God-given responsibility. Let me, let me share this. I've got enough time. Just a brief example. Why do you keep making this issue of rights versus responsibility? I, and I'm going to say this publicly public again so you understand my conviction. I'm never, I, I just never have been a fan of waving the banner of rights. You say, wait a minute, I've heard you talk about the Second Amendment. I believe in the Second Amendment wholeheartedly. I don't believe it's my right I believe it's my responsibility. And I know that may sound like semantics, but I don't believe as believers that we have rights. If we truly submit ourselves to the power of God and to the Holy Spirit, we've given up those rights to Him. He controls us. But I still have responsibility. I have a responsibility to protect my family. I have a responsibility to preach the Word of God. I have a responsibility to, to obey the commands of God. And as we think of these wishes, uh, issues. I believe we have a responsibility to protect the life of the unborn, period. And let me tell you this, prayer, I, I believe in prayer, but prayer alone doesn't cut it. If that's all you've done to protect the life of the unborn, you have fallen short, my friend. And as a church, if that's all we need you to do, then hand us a pink slip. He's nodding his head. It goes beyond just the prayer. What do we do to bring action to protect lives of the unborn and the lives of elderly? Folks, this is only going to get worse, I fear. And that's what the Bible tells us as we go through prophecy in the book of Revelation, which we've been talking on for almost a year now in Sunday school. Well, let me bring this to a conclusion. How does this all apply to this whole issue of the sanctity of human life 
I believe the sanctity of human life is something that we as Christians must must take serious and must defend rigorously. Now, when I say defend, and I'm not going to go off too much on a tangent, I don't mean riots, I don't mean uh, difficult protests that cause harm. Yes, I'm talking about prayer, but I'm talking about doing things the right way. Again, we'll talk more about that. Unfortunately, the, the pagans in our midst, I saw this for my years, that answers in Genesis, Carol still sees it, where many see that human life is no better than the average animal or plant life. To, to them, people are as disposable and cheap and worthless as anything else. But let me tell you something, God doesn't see it that way. Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Not a paraphrase, but an interpretation of that verse, I believe, also includes God created that child in the womb. You can call it a fetus if you want, but it's a living being. God gave one, created that being, and whoever sheds the life of that being, I believe, is violating the word of God. As we celebrate or focus on the issue of the sanctity of human life, I do believe there's some things that we can do to make a difference as individuals and as a church. Let me close with sharing some of these, and I believe that we have a slide as well. Number one, we can take a stand against abortion and euthanasia. Take a stand. Um, the Greek word, the word euthanasia, comes from a Greek word. Uh, the eu uh, means good. You may have heard the word eulogy. Logos in Greek is word, you, good. A eulogy is a good word. Euthanasia, you again means good, so it sounds like good, but Thanasia, I've used this before when I talked about the marble character Thanos. Thanasia is the female Greek word for death. So euthanasia literally means good death. Really? According to death, our elderly is a good death. Let me tell you something, friends. No, it's not. It's murder. Anyway, you cut it off. Number two, we can vote responsibly, exercising again dominion that God has given. With us, if you are a believer here, or even as an unbeliever, if you're here and you did not vote in this recent election or in any election, oftentimes I've said this to other churches that I've pastored. When it comes to the point of voicing opposition or concern, I will oftentimes ask them, "Did you vote?" Because if you didn't, maybe there ought to be some silence. But this is a responsibility. Again, I don't have a right to vote. You hear what I'm saying again? I believe I have a responsibility to vote. I believe you do as well. So we can vote responsibly. Number three, yes, we can pray, we can preach, we can teach others the good news of the gospel that drives home to them the value that God places on human life. Alex, I'm not trying to point you out, I'm going to join with Pastor Chris and doing my part to teach you as a new believer, as I'm teaching and as we're teaching others, the value of human life. We owe you that, Alex, at minimum. And we owe that to every person in this congregation. And so we can pray that that would continue. Four, 
we can consider adoption. Uh, our son, if some of you are following us on Facebook, and, uh, they have four children, they've had complications, and Holly would suggest that they no longer have children, and they just, uh, they've been waiting for three, four years now. They're getting ready to leave probably within three weeks to go to Columbia to adopt their fifth child. We're rejoicing with them. And that's something because some don't have to be again. I said it before. God sometimes closes the wounds. I'm not suggesting that every person has to go out and do adoption. Some it's just feasibly impossible. But we can consider it. But also, number five, we can serve as encouragers to those considering abortion. But add to that even or support but back to number four about the adoption. Consider, but also maybe support those considering adoption. But again, sir, we, we, we've got a relationship with Pathway to Hope. In our church, we give to them regularly. That's our commitment as a church body, as pastors, if I can use the word in a proper way, with dominion and the decision where some of our funds go, supporting a ministry that believes in these principles. You can do that also individually. Let me, last three things. Human life is sacred as I preach this morning. Because it mirrors God. Because it magnifies God. Because it manifests God. I'm going to ask the praise team to begin to make your way up here. In a moment, we're going to sing a song, I Believe I Surrender All. Pastor Chris will come up in a moment and join me. Those words that we're about to sing are powerful. But most often, they're just sung as words. I would almost encourage, I know it won't happen, and I understand that, and I've said some things I probably shouldn't have already. This one has nothing to do with Facebook. This has to do with just me and you. I would almost ask everybody to put on a face mask so I wouldn't know who's singing. And what I mean by that is this. Are you guilty? And only you can answer this, you and God. Are you guilty of singing, I surrender all? Lying while you sing it. Think about that. Think of, as we sing these words, I want you to think about it. And if you feel the need to put on your mask, I'm not going to be offended. But I'm asking you, please, don't sing it if you don't mean it. But if you do mean it, do something about it. I'm not saying you have to come up to the altar. That's not what I mean. That may, that may be what God leads someone to do. But you can make decisions where you are. You don't have to come to an altar. You, you can stand where you are. You can go up to your knees for that matter. But my plea to you this morning, as you sing, I surrender all, would you make it real? Father, we thank you for your truth this morning. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, as, as difficult as a sermon like this might be, whether it's based on your truth, we do love and appreciate the sanctity of human life. We regret 
a decision our country made 48 years ago this week. Father, one of our prayers is that you would see fit through current ways, Lord, to bring about a reversal. We're praying for a miracle, yes, Lord, that you bring about a reversal of this decision through our Prince of Father, now as we prepare to sing this hymn of invitation, as we prepare to sing I Surrender All, would you move in hearts and give you the praise and glory and pray in Christ's name. Amen. As Pastor Chris comes up, would you stand with me? As we sing together, I surrender all. Surrender, only at His feet. 